it's time to experience the Synergy Connection Show with your host, Lucy Forsting. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Synergy Connection Show, where we do our best to try to explain the complexity of who we are as human beings. Um, I've talked about this for five years now, and I think people are totally understanding that we are not just physical, we are vibrational beings. And because of that, we vibrate at either negative or positive thoughts and uh, situations. And we're going to have a cool conversation today about family relationships and secrets. And I have a returning guest with me, Keith Long. But before we get started, I want to remind everybody that on my website, uh, which is uh, SynergyConnectionRadio.com, uh, there's about 380 shows now. And um, so if you go there, uh, Keith has done, I believe, four others maybe with me. Mm -hmm. And this is number five, I think. Um, and we've had some fascinating conversations. So you can go back and locate him because each show has a synopsis. Mm -hmm. and it tells you what the show is about. And then you can click on it and listen to it. Um, also, there is a link there to Boomer Products, Boomers Forever Young. I've been using their products for probably six years now, and I do believe it is what has kept me incredibly healthy. Um, so I thank them very much for that. They are a sponsor for the Synergy Connection show. And if you click on their link, you're going to see about 2,500 testimonies. Uh, possibly someone is relating um, a condition that you have and you might want to read how these products have helped them. Um, you can also look at their, they have their own podcast, they have videos, uh, they talk in depth about each one of the products they have. And should you decide that, man, I, I need to be trying that particular product, when you check out, if you put my first name, L-U-C-Y, in the discount bar, then you're going to get $5 off of your order. And in today's inflationary times, $5 is $5. So go ahead and use it. And if the products work for you, be sure to do a testimony uh, because they also reward their customers with what's called loyalty lion dollars. And you can accrue those and take... Um, you know, discounts off of what you're ordering. Okay, so welcome back, Keith. Well, thank you very much, Lucy. It's my pleasure to uh, to talk to you always. Thank you. Um, I know that you are a Florida Bar Certified for Continuing Law Education. So are you still teaching some classes over at Stetson? I do Stetson and for attorneys and state attorneys, also known as prosecutors um, for credits from the Florida bar for attending to my uh, attending my classes and listening to my speech. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I, you certainly offer a maybe a better perspective. I don't know whether that's the right word, but for some people that are in law, you know, they need to see it from both sides. And I think that you do that. You give them the opportunity not just to see it as a prosecutor or a defender, but as a person, you know, listening and understanding maybe what the situation is on a different level, you know, because obviously if you're a prosecutor or a defender, uh, you're skewed, you know, because it's your job to either 
get a guilty verdict or to defend your client and get them off. And uh, such a good insight. I've um, I've spoken to the Miami-Dade Public Defender's Office and the uh, Bay County, Florida, which is a northern county up near Pensacola. And a state attorney there was an, an audience member listening to my program. And both of, in both cases, it was the same program. They both uh, emailed me afterwards, said it was the best program they ever heard, although it was the same it was the same script, basically. Uh-huh, but they were hearing it from a different maybe place. And they both liked it. And that's pretty awesome when you can appeal to both sides and help them gain insight, I think. So we're going to be talking about family relationships and secrets. And before we started taping, um, you and I were talking about the fact that there's probably not a family out there listening or otherwise, maybe they're not listening, but there's not a family that doesn't have at least one or two secrets that they don't want their neighbors or maybe other relatives to know. And it might be drugs and it might be alcohol. It might be gambling. It might be, you know, a sexual addiction. Who, who knows what it is, but it can be really serious. And your book that you've been doing with Casey Anthony, um, you know, it's taken a little bit of a twist here, right? And uh, it's looking at it not from the mother, not from, you know, any, any particular uh, place, but the secrets that the family hid all along and, and that nobody, they were so busy wanting to get a guilty verdict that nobody really looked at the bigger picture. Well, that is so true. And, um, and I think that's what we'll get into in our conversation is to kind of describe what, what actually happened and what the secrets were in this family. So why don't you open that door? You know, <laughs> what were the secrets that they were actually hiding? Well, this, uh, I might, um, I might start by, by where the book starts actually. And that is when the public became aware of a, a missing child, a two-year-old missing child in a Orlando family, it became an instant uh, um, case celeb, and an instant uh, news item that was carried throughout the country uh, with uh, news alerts uh, if anybody tweaked their finger or had some kind of sort of a news in item to, to broadcast throughout the country. And so the public was introduced really without knowing the secrets that this family was keeping, which reveal everything about what happened in the uh, scenario that led to the murder of a two-year-old child. And uh, and before I get into basically the, the family story, which I think you want to talk about, I'll just mention very briefly that um, there was a two-year-old child who was the grandchild of the parents she was living with and the child of the mother who also lived in this one little house, 1,600 square foot house. And she was, quote, missing all of a sudden and police were called and the media started covering it as a missing child well that's all the public knew and at this moment that's all they still know but the family had a life 
before the public got involved. And they were keeping secrets that explain everything. And that's why I thought it would be an interesting subject to discuss. So I'm the journalist of record for this story. And I researched the court records exclusively as my source. And so while everybody has a point of view and everybody's entitled to the quote truth, uh, all I did was try to gain clarity from whatever law enforcement was told. And if somebody told it to law enforcement, they were sworn under oath. So the presumption is if, if they didn't tell the truth, they could be uh, charged with perjury. And hopefully they would be. Uh, so this family, uh, really the book starts out with the pregnancy of a 19 year old single mom who doesn't know, who says she doesn't know who the father is. And what's interesting is her mother reacted in a particular way to the news. And the way her mother reacted was to try to get her to abort the baby. And the way she did that was that she didn't talk to her daughter. She didn't acknowledge she was pregnant, even though she was an RN. And mm. she trained in pediatrics. Wow. So there was no doubt as the baby bump grew uh -huh. over eight months, the mother of this uh, pregnant woman or girl uh, was denying that she was pregnant not giving her medical uh, care, even though she had insurance for it, and telling everybody she wasn't pregnant. So that's a little weird and a little, let's say, unsympathetic to a young child, a woman who is pregnant for the first time. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, obviously there was a secret that this mother was keeping. I mean, nobody would behave that way. And, and this mother was very intelligent, very functional, as, working as a nurse manager for uh, uh, a healthcare system. Uh, and she was competent. So it wasn't like she had like gone off the deep end. She was, she was deliberate. And she wanted her daughter to abort the child. Well, I mean, as, a person could say, okay, I kind of get that. But there was a secret that she was keeping of her own and for her own reasons. So she was married to a part-time security officer who was out of work more than he was in work. She was providing all of the income for the family, paying off the house, making all the decisions. She was very competent. She was very good at, at, at being a, a manager and a, uh, uh, somebody who could, who could govern the family so it was successful in that sense. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the question then is, well, what kind of secret was she keeping and why was she keeping it to the extent that she wanted her daughter who was pregnant for the first time to abort her child and never talk about it, never talk to her own daughter about it. 
And so that was what interested me as an investigative journalist. And when the daughter refused to abort the child, she had the baby and the mother came prepared for that eventuality. And she, at the birth, she said to the nurse, look, I'm a nurse. I want you to hand the baby to me as soon as it's delivered, not to my daughter. And when they did that, the mother had a legal document that she handed her daughter as she took her baby. And she wanted her daughter to sign it to give custody to her for the purpose of giving it away for adoption. Oh, wow. Okay. So if um, I, I like to be somewhat empathetic uh, and I'm thinking, okay, so here's the 19 year old uh, first time mother at the birth with her mother present and her mother says, I want to take your baby away from you. And none of this, nothing is given as a reason. Everything is understood. Did that even come out in the court when they were yeah. doing the trial? It did come out? It all came out. Everything I'm going to say came out because everything that I report and uh, I'm going to refer to today is all from the court record mm -hmm. and um, or the investigators files sometimes. But they, but they never, ever looked at anyone other than the mother as being the guilty party. Yeah, she was low hanging fruit. Mm. Um, and uh, because, because I'm I'm kind of familiar with uh, the culture of, of our justice system. Mm -hmm. It's not that unusual. Uh, prosecutors are paid and their careers are built on convictions. And the system is understood to be uh, oriented so that prosecutors charge in order to get convictions. That's where their self-interest lies. And that's what they do. And what they do quite often is overcharge. So that they, and the reason they do is not to be nasty. Uh, it's just to, to force a defendant to uh, plea. So they don't have to go to the work of convincing a jury. They get a conviction. Their record looks good and they're happy so if somebody were to say what did you just describe and i would say i've just described our justice system uh -huh. and uh but everybody is free and welcome and invited to disagree uh -huh. Interesting. But, yeah so so what they were interested in doing was convicting somebody that the country had decided was spiteful, hateful, and evil. And the, the country would take polls, was waiting for the chance to convict her and execute her because it was a first degree uh, capital uh, case. And they were going to ask for the death penalty. Wow. And so there was no choice as far as prosecutors were concerned about who they were gonna charge. They had a slam dunk in their world. So she was convicted before anybody heard any evidence to speak of. Everybody thought she was. Uh -huh. And I think you know that there's a surprise ending 
Right, right. And there is another surprise ending in terms of what actually happened, and that's kind of like what I discovered. So the secret that the family was keeping before the public even heard of this family or knew anything about a missing two-year-old child was what informs what happened to this child. And it's just impossible to, to know who killed this child or why, who covered it up and why, without knowing the secrets that this family was keeping for a decade uh, in order to avoid exposure and likely criminal charges. Who would the charges have been against at that point? Both of them, both of the parents. The grandparents of the yeah, little girl. Uh, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, uh, so the, the, the mother of the child told her father, as soon as she discovered she was pregnant, she said, look, dad, I think you're the father. And she didn't say it in a punitive way or to embarrass him. In her world and in the world of this family, she wanted, to use her words, she wanted the, her child to be the whole family's child. Oh. And that's what she said. She said, not a problem. I think you're the father. It'll be all of our child. So was was she having relations with anyone other than her own dad? She was, and uh, there was a, she says, uh, and of course her credibility is always suspect because she lied quite a bit from the get-go about everything uh, involved with uh, the missing daughter, about how she got pregnant and everything else with police. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. But she said, uh, and that's the way I put it, you know, I'm not, I'm really not, I'm not advocating for anything except what, what the facts are in evidence. And she said in evidence to law enforcement that there, she had a one night stand at about the same time as her father had intimate relations with her. So she thought in her world that he was the father, but she also knew that uh, she had a one night stand basically with a boy at a party. So had she had relations with her father more than the one time? Yeah, going back oh. a decade. And so there was a Peacock documentary in December uh, for the first time where she appeared and told her story. And she says, beginning when she was in third grade, her father assaulted her and used to put a pillow over her face to keep her from screaming or to keep her from being heard screaming. And that continued uh, for years. So this is her saying that. Mm -hmm. You know, as a therapist myself, um, I've worked with people in the past who had multiple personalities for that very reason. Mm -hmm. that they were sexually abused by a family member and you never get over it. I mean, whether you become a, a, a multiple personality disorder individual or whether you just have PTSD all of your life, 
you never get over that. So did they look at that evidence at all during the trial? It, a very interesting. I mean, that's a key question. And it sounds like you were describing dissociation. Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so there were uh, the court ordered two psychiatrists days before the trial began to do a full psychiatric evaluation of her and to give the judge in the case, the court, their report. And they did that. And the one of the psychiatrists is contributing to my book. And he and I talk quite a bit. And we are of a single point of view, I guess, uh, about how to explain her behavior in total uh, when her daughter went, quote, missing. So, and also there was a, another psychiatrist in uh, the Orlando area who was, did an evaluation and he went on Dr. Drew, um, despite the fact that he was not winning awards in the public mind for doing it. And he said that she wasn't, uh, capable of harming her daughter. And he said that she wasn't sociopathic or pathological. And he was asked by Dr. Drew, who is a, I think he's an addiction psychiatrist. Um, if, if she was any kind of a DSM category, which is a psych, you know, psychological. Oh, it's the, our, the code book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, this, pretty well-respected psychiatrist said no. He said he looked at nine psychologists who evaluated her. They had a consensus, including him, that she did not fit into a category of, let's say, sociopath or anything like that, or any, any, any kind of a um, out-of-control, uh, say, sociopath or pathological personality, including dissociation. That's his opinion. Uh -huh. So to answer your question, they, yeah, they, they had nine psychologists ordered by the court to evaluate her, and they all had the same conclusion. Interesting. Interesting, because um, I, I mean, like I said, I've worked with them. I've been a therapist for over 35 years, and mm -hmm. I've worked with these individuals who were um abused by grandfather by dad yeah. by uncle um you know by somebody in the family and like i said they never get over it the right. anxiety that they feel the uh, ptsd kind of characteristics the dissociation that they had to do in order to survive yeah and you're right on target absolutely that's what that's her for sure for sure. All right. We're going to take a brief pause and we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Are you feeling stressed and anxious about life? Have elevated blood pressure? Experiencing weight gain? Having problems with your immune system? Getting healthy and staying healthy is more important than ever. And it has never been easier when you have fundamental nutrition from Boomer Products. Restore the youth and vitality you are used to in just minutes a day. Check out our website at www.boomerboost.com to see thousands of reviews from customers just like you who are benefiting from Boomer products. 
While you're there, check out our podcasts, blogs, and videos, and get caught up on the latest health news and information. Use promo code Lucy at checkout. That's L-U-C-Y to save $5 on your order. Stop existing and start living today with Boomer products. Hey, welcome back to the Synergy Connection Show, where I have as my guest, Keith Long, and we're talking about family relations and secrets. And uh, we've been looking at this as it relates to Casey Anthony, of course, and all of the secrets that family held. And of course, you know, in reality, I've been saying, you know, we all have secrets. Uh, We don't like to air the dirty laundry, usually, that is in each and every one of our families. And so we camouflage it or we, you know, make it look more beautiful or we ignore it or we do something. Um, And her family did the same thing. And I know you wrote, you know, a book uh, about this whole case and you're doing kind of a revision, right? And looking into the um, secrets that were held by the family that were never really aired. So true. And um, the book kind of writes itself. And many authors will, will say this about, about a book. It, it kind of takes over. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the story really became from, I just wrote the evidence. I would write down things in the evidence files and let it write itself. And then I realized at some point, the story was really about the family and their secrets. And one of the most interesting secrets was Zanny the nanny. <laughs> yeah, who didn't even exist. That's it, that's, that's what's so strange. So um, her, her mother, Cindy, and, her, and to a lesser extent her father, but both of them, spread the word to everybody that that the reason Casey took her daughter Kaylee away from the house every day for two years was not to keep her away from her father to protect her they didn't say that although that was the reason actually from the evidence Um, what they said to everybody was well she's she's going to work and she has a job, a very nice job at Universal Studios in Orlando. She's an event planner, she's doing well, and she has a, a caregiver, a nanny. And her nanny watches her because she's such a good worker. So this is her mother telling everybody, including law enforcement, that this is how they functioned as a family. It turns out, as you said, Zanny the nanny was a total fiction for two years. Zanny the nanny never existed. And she was created actually by her parents, by Casey's parents. And again, the reason they lied, it's very simple. If somebody lies to law enforcement and to their friends and coworkers, they're hiding something. Exactly. And so my story, my work as an investigative journalist is, well, just find out what that is and just write about it. And it turns out there's major secrets that this family was afraid to death of getting exposed at the moment the two-year-old was killed and they had to call police because of that. Is there any clue as to who actually was the killer sure was it the grandmother is i you know there's so much 
information um, attaching itself to the grandmother that I just include that. So there's two things to answer your question. One is that there was a confession by her, by the child's grandfather, Casey's father, to a, to a woman he was having an affair with, that he was, he was the killer. He confessed to her and she told police, uh, the police. Did she tell the police yeah. before the trial ended? Yeah, she was at the trial and testified at the trial that he confessed to her. Really? And they still went after Casey? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she was uh, she was a dead duck in, yeah. in, the, in the world of prosecution. I mean, there wasn't anything anybody could do to stop that, <laughs> that oh. train. <laughs> but um, but and, and the jury held it. And of course, we know what the jury did. And probably that was a reason why. Mm hmm. And but then also there had to be a, uh, there was a incident um, hours literally minutes before Kaylee was killed, where where the grandmother lost control of her temper, attacked her daughter Casey, and tried to choke her to death in her home. Wow! And minutes later, her daughter turns up dead. I'm, excuse me, her granddaughter turns up dead by somebody. And also on the computer in their home, also within minutes of Kaylee's murder, somebody does a Google search for foolproof suffocation on the family computer. And it turns out that there were errors in spelling on that search that matched Cindy's um, profile as a, um, a keyboard profile. She, she had searched for chloroform and other things weeks before making the same spelling errors. And yet she's a nurse. Why wouldn't she have known how to spell chloroform? That's it, and, uh, and or even suffocation. And um, so it turns out, and that's why I say, I don't say that it was her on the computer. I'm just saying this is what the police said. Right. And also she had come, she had a habit of, and it, and it was in the trial, of coming home at lunchtime from office to use the computer to search for medical terms. And so she has a, a, a evidence trail of doing that within minutes of Kaylee's death. And in that evidence trail is her misspelling medical terms. Wow, that's really fascinating. You know, you wonder, I mean, um, you know, as a writer myself, uh, a very creative mind begins to spin off on these things. And I would be wondering, okay, if she was trying to kill Casey, that the little girl got in the way you know, probably was trying to protect her mommy, right? Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, it might have been that, um, you know, because the mother, you know, Cindy was losing it, she might have pushed the child too hard. She might have decided that, you know, this whole situation just had to end, who knows, and right. trying to figure out how she could uh, expediently get rid of maybe both her daughter and her granddaughter, because if Casey was convicted, she'd be out of the picture. And right. so you get rid of the child and you blame the daughter 
And then mom and dad or grandparents in this case, you know, can go on living their life of lies. You should be an investigative journalist because in the um, trial evidence, uh, law enforcement found out uh, by interviewing the grandmother and everybody else in the family that she was trying to kick her daughter out of the house and to give the granddaughter to her so that Casey would be gone. Her granddaughter would put the baby up for adoption and basically voila, that's right. it. She gets right. everything she wants under that scenario. Right. And she had tried to do that when Casey gave birth. Absolutely. She did. She, and it was, you know, she told, she told me very pro forthcoming. She said, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to take that baby. I wanted custody immediately. And she went to her lawyer to draw up the paper in a particular way so that Casey couldn't access her daughter once she signed the agreement. It's fascinating when you think about it because of all the twists and turns. If Kaylee, um, well, let's go back to Casey for a minute. If Casey was supposedly working this dream job at Universal Studios right. where she was doing so well, then you would think that, you know, she would have moved out with the daughter anyways to right. support herself and to have independence. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so that didn't happen. That didn't happen. And of course, you're you're very, uh, I don't know if you're intuitive or just intelligent, but that's a key point. So why didn't she and uh, my uh, a, a girl I know said the same thing. And I was telling she read the book and she said, well, why didn't she just leave? Mm -hmm. and as it turns out, of course, she didn't have a job. And so she didn't have any money uh, for two years, except her mother, the grandmother of the child, gave her a debit card to use for whatever she wanted to buy the, the child, Kaylee. And but other than that, she didn't have any money to move out. And there's a whole evidence string of evidence of she's trying to get her boyfriend to take her away from the family move in and marry her and his parents said you're not marrying her before you i mean you're not uh, uh you're not going to marry her uh, for another two years until you have a job so he he said i'm not going to marry you yet mm. so she couldn't get away from the family and she had no money and she couldn't well. get kaylee away Right. And what's really tragic is she couldn't get away from the family from the moment um, her own dad started sexually abusing her and her mother knew and did nothing about it. Well, that's the thing. And and I got uh, Sonny Hostin, who is a, a panelist on The View and is also a former prosecutor uh, in the book where she says she wanted to prosecute spouses of abusers who hide their abuse. Mm -hmm. And she says, but typically they're never charged. And she said she was she had spouses in her office that she wanted to charge, but you know, nobody would do it. She couldn't, she didn't, she wouldn't get approval to do it. Well, I mean, even if you look at rape victims, it's so difficult yeah. what they have to go through, you know, to be tested for rape. And yep. then they have to bring up the charges against the rapist. And be so cross-examined. Yeah. I mean, you know, so you, you relive it. You go through all of the emotions again. You may or may not get a conviction. 
And so many of them, I mean, a very small percentage will actually press charges just because of that. It's easier to look the other way. But again, you know, that person is going to continue probably the same behavior against another female down the road. For sure. And on top of that, you're never over it. You know, the once you've become a victim of violence, you're never really over it. True. Very true. Wow. So let's, uh, we're going to be coming to the end of another show. Let's talk about where people can find the book that you have written. And this one's not out yet, right? I'm revising it and editing it. And I have a, re a professional reviewer, a very good uh, writer, uh, looking over it for continuity and making sure readers can follow it because it is a complex story. <laughs> oh, to say the least. <laughs> it's titled Zanny the Nanny, and they can go to my website, Journalist on Call. Okay. And um, are they able to like yeah. download it from Amazon if they want to copy that way or what? Yep. And in fact, I will give uh, any of your viewers who want one a free copy of the book and also free chapters if they just want a chapter, whatever they want. Um, I'm happy to do it. All right. We'll put all of that information in the synopsis so they'll know exactly what to do. Super. All right. Well, thank you, Keith, so very much for being my guest again. Um, I love having you on the show. I think it's a show that makes people think, you know, they're, they're not maybe just listening to this show, but they're actually going, wow, this happens to people all of the time, but you've had uh, the ability to kind of shed light on it. Well, I must say that your intuition, I don't know if it's intuitive or just uh, your experience and professionalism really has, has made it a joy to talk about it. Oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right, everyone, please go out there and make this your very best life. And we will see you next time on the Synergy Connection Show. Bye-bye. Boomers Forever Young is really making a name for themselves as an exciting nutritional company with products that really work. People from all over the country are starting to take notice. Their whole person approach to health and wellness, combined with their unique array of powerful natural health products, are setting them apart from all the other companies in the nutrition industry. Their customers love the one-on-one -on -one free consultations and the results they experience. Sound a little too good to be true? Then go online to boomerboost.com today and sign up for a free consultation with a product specialist or just give us a call at 1-800-861-4609. Again, that's boomerboost.com or call 1-800-861-4609 to join the thousands already experiencing the benefits of Boomers Forever Young products.